the the analogy analogy I'll use ChatGPT uh, it's it, it's a bit like a screwdriver it's a tool yeah um, in the same way if you're going to build a nuclear weapon you need a screwdriver but just because you have a screwdriver does not mean that you can build a nuclear weapon I like that same thing for ChatGPT yeah it, it potentially in five years time can help you write code you still need to know what you're doing and also you need to have that desire to do wrong anyone can be a target just because you may think that you're insignificant or that your organization um, isn't um, worthy of attack doesn't mean that you won't get attacked simply because of the country that you live in the nature of your customers or even the nature of your customers customers we we took down um, the angler gang which was one of the biggest ransomware um, gangs at the time and we got their um, we got their logs Hey everyone, David Bombal back with a very special guest. Martin, welcome. Thank you. So Martin, we're at Cisco Live. You've got to tell us a bit of your story. What do you do? Who are you? And where did you start? I work for Talos, which is Cisco's threat intelligence and security research organization. Uh, my role is to represent Talos in EMEA and work together with, um, with customers, um, also with our partners in the public sector, with the press to try and spread our message and a bit about what it is that we that we do. I should say I'm a hardcore techie. It Good. is now this month 20 years since I started in threat detection and up until last year when I took this role, um, I was hands-on um, hunting down the bad guys. You've written a book recently, is that right? I have, yes. Yeah, I've spent the last two years writing this uh, this damn book. It has been <laughs> an adventure. Um, it's not been particularly easy. I think if I'd had any idea how much sheer hard work was involved in writing a book. I'm not sure I would have done it, but um, I'll tell you the story. Yeah, so um, uh, it's, yeah, it's now 20 years since um, I started working in, in threat detection. Um, at the time when I started working, I didn't know what we were doing was called threat intelligence. I had no idea. It took me um, a good few years before I even heard the term threat intelligence. And then I thought, well, okay, this is what we're trying to do. It's a bit similar to um, sort of more traditional threat intelligence done in intelligence agencies and then done in the military. And um, I set out thinking, well, I want to find the textbook about how do you do this? You know, how do you think about this as a problem? Um, and I couldn't find it. And then I was at one dinner one evening, uh, sat next to uh, a very senior uniformed military intelligence guy. Yep. And I was like, oh, brilliant. Here's a professional. I can ask him all the questions about how do you do this? You know, how do you analyze the signals? How do you, how do you hunt for anomalies? And basically what I learned was that um, people like this don't really like being asked this type of question by a civilian. Exactly. Uh, and I came away thinking, okay, well, I'm not going to find this book. I'm going to have to write it myself. So yeah, I, I tried to distill um, sort of 20 years worth of experience and also the training that I've received from colleagues and the tips and tricks and the stuff that's declassified into a book so that anyone who's getting started in the domain has a textbook that they can work from. And anyone who's a, who's a practitioner has um, the book as a reference. So Martin, I have to, I have to um, push you on this. This book is... Um 
quite expensive. There's been a lot of work in this book. <laughs> You're not going to become a millionaire work. with this book. I am not. I am on a guaranteed uh, loser. I had to take an unpaid sabbatical oh, from wow. work to, uh, to to write it. I, I, I thought naively I'd be able to write this in my spare time and I got halfway through the year I, that my editor had given me to write it and thought there is no way on earth I'm going to hit my deadline un, unless I take a, an unpaid sabbatical and my employer has been great and has, uh, has given me the time to do that. But yeah, I'm on a guaranteed loser. Martin, I want to ask you more about the book and Talos and other things. But let's start with like, how did how did you get into this? Because you didn't do this from school. Not at all. No, I, I've fallen into this by accident, more okay. or less. Um, so I, my background is in bioscience. I describe myself, I'm a recycled human viral geneticist. Oh, wow. So I started working on human viruses um, and how we uh, modulate the immune response yeah. against human viruses. Um, I uh, studied for my doctorate in Paris. I got okay. uh, a postdoc position in Oxford. Arrived in Oxford, uh, be January 1996, and I discovered the internet. <laughs> and that was it. My, my, my career in research, in academia, that's it, finished. Um, I mean, within, within an hour or two of playing with it, I just thought, this is going to be the biggest invention in my life. And either I jump ship now yeah. And, yeah. And, and follow it, or I'll spend the rest of my life regretting it. So uh, much to my mother's disgust, um, <laughs> instead of writing up my doctorate, I, I taught myself programming and jumped to, to, to follow a career in IT. Um, spent a few years um, writing websites. Actually, should I tell you my claim to fame? Yeah. So uh, I rose with the dot-com boom, like everyone else fell with the dot-com crash, uh, found myself underemployed rather than unemployed, uh, and a friend contacted me and said, hey, I've got a job for you, perfect job. Um, it was a company that wanted uh, an all-singing, all-dancing e-commerce system, multilingual, everything that I was doing at the time, designing designing systems, designing e-commerce systems and the back end for that, um, said, you should come along, have the interview, absolutely perfect for you. So. I went along. The, the, the employer was, um, it was a company that had fallen on, on hard times. Yeah. Um, they'd just been bailed out by their biggest competitor. And they pitched this to me. This was a new kind of e-commerce system. Okay, great. But to access it, you had to buy their hardware. Oh, wow. And I'm like, okay. what? Hang on. This is an e-commerce system. And you've got like 5% of the hardware market. But you can only access it if you if you buy your hardware. This is this is a stupid idea. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, no, 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 um, not the job for me. I had a young family. I thought, well, there's no way I can like gamble my career on this. Um, and that was how I turned down being one of the architects of iTunes. Oh wow! Um, okay, clearly. Uh, Apple had bet the company on the, the iPod and the iPhone and they needed the back end. And the way they pitched it is all singing, all dancing e-commerce, but you can only access it with their, with their hardware. And yeah, 
that was my I didn't sign the Beatles moment. Ooh, was it, that was Apple that you spoke to? That was Apple. Wow. Uh, that was, okay. would have been 2002, I think. So anyway, after my biggest mistake in my life, um, then another job came up, uh, writing spam filters. And um, I thought this was really interesting because it was actually very similar to the work I've been doing in analyzing human viruses. Um, because the genome of a virus is a sequence of DNA bases. Um, so you look for patterns within the ba within the DNA bases to find where the beginning uh, of a gene is and where the end. And then you're looking for further patterns that are telling you information about the gene. And then you can do homology lookups to see if it's similar to something that you've seen before. And for me, all a spam message was is a sequence of characters of letters and again we're looking for patterns within that that tell us something and then we're measuring the homology for stuff we've seen before so if you get a new unknown message and it's 80 percent similar to a spam you saw yesterday then you can be fairly sure this is a spam so that was how i got started um, it was basically applying the pattern analysis and data analysis techniques that been taught for DNA analysis to um, to spam analysis, and then as I built the spam honeypots and started looking at more stuff, I started getting malware coming in, and then started looking at that. And um, we we had a team that was separating out. This was this was right. This was like before spam was a problem, and we started You're getting. Showing our age, Martin. Oh God, I'm old. I'm old, mate. Um, <laughs> We were getting lots and lots of malware of the same type. And then from time to time, we'd get really, really different malware. Um, there wasn't a lot of it, but it was very, very different from the run-of-the-mill stuff. So we could we could pull out and identify um, what we refer to as the time as targeted attacks, yeah. um, which was nation-state attacks. So then we started looking at those in, in more detail and as separate from the mass market criminal attacks that we were that we were go that we were doing. And again, after a while, realized that our biggest problem wasn't necessarily those few viruses or malware that we were missing. It was the fact that the sales guys, the marketing, the customers didn't actually know what we were doing in the malware room and, yeah. and why it was so different. Um, so following that, a lot of my work has been really trying to explain to people why it's so important what we do. What are the bad guys up to? How do we identify what the bad guys are up to? And then make sure that people are aware of that. Um, and ultimately, that's what led me to, to, to writing the book. We need people to actively go out and hunt down the bad guys. It, it's not just enough to do the cybersecurity protection and, and you know have the basics everywhere. You also need to hunt the bad guys, understand what it is that they're trying to do, and then build build up the protection based on that. You were writing detection systems to pick up malware. So Talos is hunting the bad guys. So yeah, so Talos um, was formed in, oh, it's got to be 2013, 2014 now. Um, so it was the merger of um, existing threat intelligence teams within within Cisco. Um, so there was the SecApps team that had come from the Ironport acquisition. Um, there was the VRT team that had come from the SourceFire acquisition. And there was the 
crack team, threat research, analysis, and communications that I was part of uh, within Cisco. And then they were merged together to form Talos, so have one single team that was looking at the bad guys and researching threats, um, and then developing that threat intelligence content, which powers Cisco's um, security security portfolio. I was looking at the 2022 report of the like the 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 worst attacks or what to expect. What should companies watch out for in 2023? So um, yeah, this is based on our annual report, yeah. which came out um, at the beginning of uh, of this year in January. We I think we've learned a lot over the past over the past year. The first thing I think to consider, I mean, it's a bit like the weather. Yeah, you know, the weather next week's going to be pretty similar to this week. And, and if you think that, you're probably not going to be far wrong. So from the criminal point of view, ransomware. It's one of the oldest crimes. It's extortion. Over time, adversaries realize there's only so much value in you know ransoming some person's photos off their computers. Now actors are working together in groups to take down large corporations. If they have whatever revenue they is, right, 1.2 billion, 3 billion, then they can afford to pay a few million in ransom. Ransomware is a big problem. It's not going to go away. It's very, very lucrative for for the bad guys. So a while ago now, about five years ago, we, we took down um, the Angler gang, which was one of the biggest ransomware um, gangs at the time. And we got their, um, we got their logs and we were able to calculate how much money they were making. Okay. And they were making in the region of $50 million a year wow. only from ransomware. So this isn't, you know, far too many people think of cybersecurity or threat actors, you know, it's a teenage kid in a hoodie. Yeah. No, this is this is big business. There, there's big money to be made here. And those sums of money can be reinvested in better software engineers, um, better networking, um, command and control systems that are resistant to takedown. So the money, the sheer amount of money which is able to be made from ransomware means that, that that's not going away. The other uh, big story of the year, of course, is the, the, the conflict in Ukraine yeah. um, and the, the, the cyber dimension of that. If there's just one thing to take away from it, 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 it's actually the sheer success that the Ukrainian cyber defenders have had. Yes, they've been incredibly focused. They've had lots of support. They've been doing lots and lots of things right. But it goes to show that actually with the right focus, with the right support, you can defeat the most sophisticated threat actors um, on the planet that yeah. are out there that are that are targeting you. Um, so that's that's my biggest takeaway. And then beyond that, we have to look at the the other features of the conflict, notably the use of proxy actors. Okay. So recruiting criminals to work on behalf of the state, very very similar to privateers or corsairs of the 17th and 18th century. Um, it's kind of a, a similar environment. It's expensive and difficult for a state to develop its own offensive cyber capability. You will never have enough people. You will never have enough tools. But you can tolerate to some degree the criminal threat actors and let them develop, and then co-op them to work on behalf of the state, very, very similar to, to, to the privateer model um, of the pirates of the Caribbean age. And I think we're seeing that now. Um, so criminal threat actors given legitimacy by um, a hostile state and given some direction of the organizations to hit. We also see crowdsourcing, um, so hacktivism, both in the West and, uh, and, and also in the East. Again, 
you know, people who wish to get involved in the conflict, adding their own tools and their own capability to that. Associated with that, yeah, maybe there's some randomness in the targets that are being that are being hit. Um, the key thing is is to think that anyone can be a target just because you may think that you're insignificant or that your organization um, isn't um, worthy of attack doesn't mean that you won't get attacked simply because of the country that you live in, the nature of your customers, or even the nature of your customers' customers. I, I think all of us have to recognize we can all be a target. Now is the time to prepare. Um, it's the time to aggressively hunt down misconfigured systems or vulnerabilities or systems that don't have the protection in it. It's also the time to engage in proactive threat hunting. Any scene of a crime, there's fingerprints, there's big sticky fingerprints there. Cybercrime is no different, but you have to actively be looking for these fingerprints. They are there. They are in your logs. They're in your network logs. They're in your systems logs. They're in your security um, uh, telemetry logs. But you have to think, what traces would they leave? Um, and then start actively looking for these traces in, um, in the logs. If you look hard enough, you will find things. You will find things that, uh, that are wrong. Uh, and this is really the great successes that we've had um, at Talos over the past. It's, it's about thinking, what might the bad guys be doing? What would this look like? How do we go out and find this within the telemetry and going off looking at it? To be honest, 99 times out of 100, you'll be wrong. But that one time, you will find something very, very significant. The other um, way to hunt is when you find something wrong, you don't rest until you've found the whole story. Yeah. Um, look into it again and again and again and ask, well, how did this get here? Um, well, what went wrong to get there? Where else could it have gone? If you find something wrong and you find an attack, there's a whole story there about the threat actor they had an objective in mind. You know, by the time you found something, you're, there's already been a couple of steps to get in there. What were those steps? What was the threat actor trying to do? Work all of that out and then use that to drive your threat hunting strategies. Um, add it to your playbooks of the stuff that you're looking for. And, and in that way, yeah, we can defeat the bad guys. We can find them. But you have to look, you have to hunt, um, and it takes time, and you won't always be successful. You said that ransomware is, is a big problem, like a big threat that we have to worry about this year. And I've heard you say previously ways that we can protect ourselves against ransomware. So can you like, like okay, I'm worried about ransomware. Tell us, like, how do I protect myself? The simple way is there's no, there's no single solution. Um, it's about having multiple overlapping layers. It would be great to keep the bad stuff out. So having some form of perimeter protection. Like a firewall or something. Yeah, you know, a firewall, um, having, you know, filtering incoming email. I mean, the number, I mean, you just look in your junk mail and you go, oh, you know, parcel, redirect, click here. Yeah. Chances are, yeah, you, you know, if you engage with that, you're going to get ransomware at some point. So filter the connections coming in. So have the email filtering in place, keeping out as much of the bad stuff 
out of the inboxes of your users. For one thing for certain, you can't trust your users. I was going to say, I mean, how do you stop someone clicking on their link? They they're going will. to. They're you going know, to. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, they're going they're to. Going you to. know, you can tell people until you're blue in the face, don't click the link, don't click the link. You can take them to the training yeah. um, where the message is, don't click the link. You ask them afterwards, what did you learn? Yeah, don't click the link. Send them a, 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 an unsolicited e you know, email, look at this cat video. Yeah, some of them are going to click it. Yeah. To be honest, actually, it's happened to me, um, oh, wow. which was incredible. But that's the thing. You, someone of your level of experience and knowledge. It was a very, very, I mean, very humbling learning in, uh, experience. Very, very embarrassing as well. Um, so at Cisco, we have regular phishing training, um, mm -hmm. and they'll send out like fake emails to try and catch the idiots that click the link. Uh, in my defense, <laughs> we're all idiots. Yeah, I know. In my, my defense, I say it wasn't. It wasn't actually my fault. Um, <laughs> I like that. Seriously. The, 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 so the week before, I'd um, I'd logged, logged a ticket with HR because I wanted to know something about what expenses could I could I claim. So you get back an email. Thank you for your quit from someone I don't know. I've never heard of before. Um, uh, we'll get back to you in a few days. And then this message comes through and it was something like your tax inquiry or your tax information for me it wasn't an unexpected email yeah. i was expecting yeah. something like yeah. that so when it comes through and it's like yeah the information that you requested is here i clicked because it wasn't unexpected and of course then it takes you to a page it says martin lee you idiot you you know you know you're not supposed to do this but it wasn't a real phishing it was no like, it was a fake okay. phishing and it Thank takes goodness. me through to the mandatory retraining of that you know and you feel you feel a complete idiot especially because i started my career writing spam filters i know everything to look for and it still got me so it's always going to hit your users um someone will be expecting a, a similar parcel. message yeah a parcel which didn't come and then the yeah. email comes through yeah yeah you know we couldn't re deliver it so yeah keep the bad stuff away from from the users filter incoming connections how, both how do you email, do that though um email filters firewalls you know web filtering the boring stuff that'll keeps as much of it as way as possible it won't keep all of it away yep. um the other thing to think about um we know the bad guys are looking for vulnerable applications which are externally yeah. facing so yeah stuff can come in that way as well frequently misconfigurations are overlooked you know we often think about patching and keeping things fully patched but just configuring systems is also quite difficult. So, again, if you're a defender, you know, test these. Go around, rattle some doorknobs and rattle some windows and see if you can get in and, and try and buckle that down as much as possible. Understanding that, you're never going to be 100%. So then we have to think of the next layer. Um, in our annual report, two of the most common ways of getting in are either external vulnerabilities or phishing. So okay. again, users are your big issue. Yes, we can detect many of the phishing emails and stop them getting into the inbox. We're never going to get all of them. So having good user management, um, two-factor authentication helps enormously. Is there any specific type that you'd recommend? Um, is it like an app on the phone or is it like a physical thing? Or Anything is better than nothing. Um, so at Cisco, we, we have the Duo, Duo solution, but, but anything so that if a threat actor gets someone's credentials they can't just access it there's another another step so um yeah duo and getting the ping on your phone and now we have to type in 
sort of four numbers that you see on the screen to verify that the person who's trying to access a resource really is the person that you think it is. It's not a panacea, but it's one of those protections. And then um, the, the goalkeeper uh, is endpoint protection. Okay. So having endpoint protection on everything, so not just laptops, but also on the servers. What um, about mobile devices? Mobile devices as well. Anything that has either data or digital assets that are important to you or access to something else, you need to have the endpoint protection. But like the best football team, it, it's the goalkeeper. It's great to have a goalkeeper that does the heroic saves, but if the ball is getting to your goalkeeper and you're relying on the goalkeeper heroically yeah. catching things, then something's going wrong midfield or something's going wrong at the end of the field. Um, so it's necessary to have that in place, but don't rely on it. And then there's all sorts of other uh, wonderful things. You can get uh, network visibility. Um, so we have um, Cisco Secure Network Analytics, which actually takes metadata from your routers and switches. So you can analyze what's going on, what's traversing your network. Also collecting the telemetry from the endpoint devices so that not only are you detecting the known malware, but you've also got indications if there's strange stuff happening and then pulling that together into um, some sort of system that you can then ask questions of the data to identify, you know, even just getting a top 10 of weird stuff that happened yesterday. You know, what was the computer which exfiltrated the largest amount of data? Why? Is that, is that different from last week? Always ask questions about why, why, why was you know, why did this happen? And what would this look like? So if someone got inside your system and uploaded ransomware onto one of your servers, what would that look like? Yeah. You know, what traces might we find in our telemetry? How might we identify that and then go out and look for it? Sooner or later, you'll find it. And then the other thing is to say backups. I was going to say, that's the one I had on my you know, list. Backups, backups. Yeah. backups. Um, you know, I mean, you've been in this industry as long as I have. You know, backups. Telling you know, the dawn of computing from the early 1970s, the importance of backups. You know, backups, it's the, it, it's the kryptonite of ransomware. If you've got a good backup, you can recover from it. Backing up and restoring isn't easy. We know that. It's necessary. You should have it. Um, but also, we've got to recognize it's not easy. You know, we have all the security stuff. We've been, like you said, you've been doing this for a long time. But why is it that companies are just getting hacked like every day, it seems? It's because I think, well, there's a number of fundamental problems. Um, the driver, we've got two big drivers. One is the profit motive for criminals. And the other one is the nation states um, looking to do this either for good old fashioned espionage or for geopolitical reasons. So we've got drivers that are driving the threat actors to launch the attacks. We've got security protections that are protecting it. Uh, flip side to your question is there are millions of organizations that aren't getting hacked every day. You know, that we, is a good we, point, we do we only hear the news. Absolutely. We do pretty well in terms of detection. We're not 100%. Um, it gives me a lot of comfort that actually we read about the hacks in the news because it's newsworthy and, it, and it's rare. That is a good point. Um, so we do have a lot of success. It is not perfect. Um, one of the other issues that we have is it's it's really difficult to write software, yeah. you know, and it's difficult to write software that does what you want it 
to do. If you're writing secure software, not only must it do what you want it to do, but then never do anything else. I think we're we're waiting for a revolution in software engineering so that we're, we're taking a little bit of the human element out and we're having some kind of automated analysis of the code, or maybe we're having computer code written by computers, which is secure. We're a long way from that yet. But that those vulnerabilities and the fact that it's difficult to configure systems as well means that we've got these gaps that the bad guys can use to get in. So we've got a motivation. I think as a society, we need to work on, on holding the threat actors to account. You know, we, we, we need to arrest more of them and we yeah, need exactly. to say to the nation state ones, no, 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 you, you, you cannot do this. Um, have the right protections in place, understanding they're never going to be 100%, and then also work on the automated securing of devices, making them uh, easier to be secure and easier to remove the, the vulnerabilities. In the grand scheme of things, not doing too badly. We're not perfect, but we're not doing too badly. There's a lot of good points out there. There's a lot of reasons to be positive. I'm glad you said that because when I look at the news and I see what's going on, it's like the sky is falling. We, we've got no hope. Hackers are hacking every day. So go look in your logs at the number of attacks that were that were defeated. You know, go go look in your in your junk mail. Well, actually, don't look in your junk mail folder because <laughs> you might click on it. You know, but it's full uh, uh, of malicious emails that have been detected. And your firewall logs, you you will just see. You know, every you know, thousands of times a second, someone someone's rattling the doorknob, someone's rattling the handle, um, and it was detected. And it was blocked. So, you know, we don't do too badly. But yeah, sometimes we drop the ball. It happens. I mean, you're human. Yeah. But curveball. Chat GPT in the news. AI. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm a 16-year-old and I want to run, write some malware, I'll just go into like chat GPT and get it to write it. And quantum computing, the world's going to burn. What I mean, I'm just, I'm just so poking chat you GBT, now. Easier. I mean, chat GPT, seriously, seriously, seriously. Have you, have you interacted with I chat have. GPT? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It, it's not. It's it's not there yet. Even for human language, this isn't this isn't quite right. Um, it does a pretty good job, and a lot of people. I mean, I'm just playing yeah. devil's advocate here. It's like, okay, perhaps you're right today, but what about five years, or what about so, like ten years? Again, the bit with um, with getting ChatGP to write code. Writing code is really really difficult. You can get stuff that kind of looks a bit like computer code out of ChatGPT. Honestly, getting that to run and configured on a device. No, that's another question. If you want to write malware, the information is out there you don't need chat gpt to 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 do a pastiche uh, of that in the future again you know let's look at this positively potentially chat gpt is actually going to be the future of software engineering um, and artificial intelligence is going to be an incredible tool that will help us write better and secure yeah. um, software code um, it's an arms race it sounds like the, the analogy analogy i'll use chat gpt uh, it's it, it's a bit like a screwdriver it's a tool yeah um, in the same way if you're going to build a nuclear weapon you need a screwdriver but just because you have a screwdriver does not mean that you can build a nuclear weapon. I like that. Same thing for ChatGPT. Yeah, it, it potentially in five years' time can help you write code. You still need to know what you're doing. And also, you need to have that desire to do wrong. It's a tool like any other. It's like, a you know, people, you know, burgle houses with a hammer. People commit murder with a hammer. The hammer isn't the bad thing. Um, it, it's that motivation and... You know, bad guys do bad things. I'm glad you said that because I get a lot of pushback on my channel. Like, David, why are you showing this hack or why are you showing this? But, you know, if you don't show people the problem and if you don't have the skills, it's like you said with a hammer, 
You know, how are you going to learn about it? You need to know, we need society in general, we need people to know what are the problems, what are the issues, because that drives how you protect yourself. And everything's changed. You know, the threat landscape five, ten years ago is very, very different. So we need to keep abreast of what the bad guys are up to, how they're doing about it, because that is the driver for good defense. Um, We need to know what the bad guys are doing so that we can put the necessary defenses um, in place. Um, And also, if you're doing this in an organization, make the budget case. You know, the the, the big boss is going to be an accountant. He doesn't know or care. You you have to make that justification based on what's happening around us. Um, And that, yeah, it it unfortunately involves understanding what the bad guys are doing. Quantum computing is going to destroy encryption. I'm just making random comments here. It's going to it's kind of changing change encryption. I think that we'd see a lot of attacks about um, stealing encrypted data. We would certainly see, um, I would imagine that we see BGP redirection attacks, so that we'd be able to do man in the middle to, 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 to break the encryption. We don't see this at the moment, or at least we don't see this in the volume that I would expect for me to think that there was a powerful enough quantum computer out there. I'm sure it'll happen. Don't forget, not all um, encryption algorithms are susceptible to quantum cracking. Um, The shared key um, is still uh, would still be secure if that key is long enough. Um, also, there's various um, standards bodies out there at the moment standardizing on post-quantum um, uh, encryption. If you are developing encrypted systems, it's time to think about how would you swap out the algorithm because one day it's going to happen. We're probably not there yet but we might be there tomorrow or in three years or in 30 years. So um, we need to prepare for it. I'm really glad that you said, you know, we often focus on the bad, but there's a lot of good happening because I think for younger people or people who are interested in this field, it might be like, if I go into this, it's a losing battle. Like you wrote that book because you couldn't find information about this. How do I become you if I'm 18 or, I, I hate to say just 18, but let's say I'm, I want, I'm interested in this field. What's sort of the path or the roadmap that you would tell your younger self if I, if I wanted to become you? Actually, your video channel, it's a good place to start. Um, That's num- very kind of you. Yeah, no, it is. For, I mean, number one is being aware of the problem. Once you're aware of the problem, I think the next step is actually, do, do you find this interesting? You know, I could easily have been a structural engineer. If you're a structural engineer, your enemy, enemy, enemy is gravity. Yeah. But gravity is, is static. It's just, you know, trying to pull your skyscraper or your bridge down. Um, in cybersecurity, the enemy is continuously changing tactics. It's continuously changing. And that, at least for me, is what makes it so interesting. So um, those steps are, one, yeah, learn a bit about it. Two, actually, do you recognize this is something which is absolutely fascinating? We still have many, many years of career of cybersecurity out there. This isn't a solved problem. It's continuously changing and changing as we use technology in different ways. So bad guys are finding ways of subverting that technology. Knowledge is the first one, learning about it. However, I think cybersecurity is also a profession that you gain by doing it, play with it. There's loads of competitions out there. There's open source tools. There is so, so many things, so many ways to get involved. So if you really want to be um, uh, you know, a, a red team pen tester, go, go out and be a pen tester and become a pen tester 
teach yourself, train yourself up, become part of the community. And that is how you will find the right job. Same if you want to be in threat intelligence or you want to be on the on the defense side, you know, go out, go out and do it. Participate in the competitions, find the community, become part of the community, and that will lead you to employment. Talos is part of Cisco, but I'm not a corporate guy. Is there an opportunity like I just want to hack? I don't want to like wear a suit. Is there is the opportunities at Talos and Cisco for people like me? Yeah, I'm on my best behavior today, so <laughs> I was I'm, I'm say like, you know, I'm I'm, I'm dressed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I think that's a great thing of the of the cybersecurity community. There are some um, interesting characters and some yep. um, uh, interesting dress and uh, uh, hairdressing choices. To be honest, nobody cares. Yeah, um, this is this is very very much a domain which is all about what you know and what you can do um how you dress what you look like um isn't an issue um i think the only thing that maybe is, is being trustworthy yeah um you know having a trust is a big thing yeah having a criminal record not a positive so um really really avoid that um uh, if you can um but yeah it's all about what you can do, the passion for it, and the interest for it. So yeah, just 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 learn about it, train yourself up, participate, enjoy it, and have fun. It's a fascinating problem, and it's not going away, and it's continuously changing. It's, it's getting bit, it's bigger. It's, bigger. it's getting better. Well, we're using technology in new ways. Yeah. You know. Also, we don't we forget how new the internet is. You know, we're right at the beginning. It's it's like someone building the first steam engine, you know, and it's 100, 150 years before the end of the, the Industrial Revolution. We're just at the start of the IT revolution. Um, and we have this problem, the problem of cyber insecurity. Eventually, I do hope that it's going to be solved. Um, but I feel, I mean, I've, I've tried to do my bit, but it's probably now the opportunity to pass on the baton to the next generation yeah. um you know our generation we kind of messed this up you know to be honest well, you know there were bad decisions that were made early on because we had no idea um now we we know we need new ideas we need new ways of looking at the problem um uh, and so yeah what i want to do is pass on the knowledge that i have now and then say to the next generation look guys Take it from here. You, you, you're going to know better. You're going to have different ideas. How do we solve this problem? It's not insolvable. This isn't insurmountable. We need other ideas. We need other ways of looking at it. If I have an idea or I'm interested in this, uh, how do I get hold of you? Is, it, is Twitter a good place or can I send you messages or how do I get involved in the community? Yeah, I mean, the best way is to find the open source community. I mean, at Talos, we, we've got um, a whole range of open source um, software proje projects. Yeah, get involved. Um, you know, snort. We, yeah. Snort is our open source IDS. We have Clam AV, which is our open source um, AV system. Um, we also have open source malware analysis systems. You know, find those open source communities. That's the the best way of getting of getting involved. Um, if you have ideas, brilliant. Write write the open source tool. Get it get it out there. That's a great get, idea. It, get it get it get it spread. Um, LinkedIn. If you want to get in touch with me, LinkedIn is always um, is always a good way. I'm I'm fairly open to uh, to people connecting on on LinkedIn. As long as I can verify who they are. Sometimes we have some dodgy people trying yep. to connect. And sometimes we have people trying to sell me over LinkedIn. So don't don't look like a spy and don't look like a, um, a sales salesperson. I've heard you say that you are a big advocate for remote working. And the reason I want to say that is it gives people the opportunity because a lot of people are watching on based in the US perhaps. Yeah. So what about if I'm 
some guy in South Africa or some guy in India, is there an opportunity for someone like me? If you're in a country where Cisco has an office, then yeah, you're, you're potentially hireable. Um, on our Talos website, so if you look at talosintelligence.com, we have our open job specs. Uh, I know a number of those are marked as remote and, and would certainly consider anyone um, any, anywhere in the world. From my own point of view, yeah, I'm based in, um, in the UK. Last uh, November, December, I moved to Chamonix, you know, my, wow. uh, you know to do remote working. Um, so all I need to work is an internet connection and a, and a laptop. So um, yeah, it can be that laptop could be at home, it could be in the mountains, it could be on a beach. Um, you know, as long as you get your work done and you're focused and you're delivering what's necessary, that's that's the important thing. I think I mean, it's amazing how the world's changed. It gives an opportunity for people who perhaps um, are in different parts of the world, yeah. um, talent from everywhere, yeah. not just from certain parts yeah. of the world. Well, this is why diversity is so important, because, because we need diverse points of view and yeah. diverse backgrounds you know i've come in from this from a from a life science uh background we have people that are coming up from computer science or mathematic background they have different points of view to yeah. to to myself we need people who've studied history we need people who've studied art we need people from different cultures from different countries who are looking at the problem in different ways and are bringing different things to the community martin i really want to thank you for sharing you know it's um i love what you said that you you're looking at giving the baton to the next generation. Um, I really appreciate you sharing the knowledge. And for everyone who's watching, go and connect on LinkedIn. Please don't spam him. But uh, <laughs> thanks so much for sharing. I mean, your book's one way, but you also, I, I've watched a whole bunch of videos on Talos. You do these, these like, you, you videos every once in a while, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we've got a monthly um, video series that I that I, I do with Hazel. That you'll find where I'd really direct people to is to our blog. Okay. So blog.talosintelligence.com. Um, this is where we publish our research about the latest threats. So everything that we are able to publish, everything that we think is important, we will put on our blog. Uh, most importantly, yeah, keep, keep informed. Keep informed of what the bad guys are up to um, and then think about how you can protect yourself against this. Brilliant. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.